Well, over the course of this morning, we're baptizing 12 people, and in preparation for these baptisms, uh, we're going to look at a fascinating account. It's Acts chapter 10, and it's an account of one of the very first times that Gentiles, meaning non-Jewish people, one of the very first times that Gentiles are baptized. And baptizing the Gentiles was really a kind of a milestone in the life of the early church. The assumption really after the resurrection was that followers of Christ really also needed to be be, uh, followers of the law, needed to be Jewish. And so the idea that Gentiles would be included in the new covenant was was really uh, kind of an earth-shattering realization. And so when Peter baptized the Gentiles, as we'll see here in Acts 10, it was a declaration that Gentiles have the same status before God as Jewish believers do. And so we're going to take a whirlwind tour of Acts chapter 10. I'll summarize most of it, and then we'll look at the the last paragraph that talks about baptism and draw out some implications uh, for us. Uh, but this is, this is uh, here's a summary of what Luke records. Luke wrote Luke and Acts. It was one book originally. So there was a city on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea called Caesarea. And there was a man there. His name was Cornelius. And Cornelius was a Roman centurion. So he was, he was a military man, and he was in charge of about 100 troops. And even though he was a Gentile, he was a God-fearer. He was Uh, He was very devoted to the God of the Jews, and he expressed that devotion by, Luke says, he prayed continually. How many of us could say that? But he prayed continually, and he also gave alms. He gave to the poor in Caesarea. And one day, about three in the afternoon, Cornelius uh, had a vision. This angel of God appeared to him, and this angel told him, Cornelius, God actually has heard your prayers, and God is pleased with the alms that you give to the poor. And the angel told him as well, there's a man named Peter who is in the city of Joppa, which is about 35 miles south of Caesarea. There's this man named Peter. Send for him. He has a message for you. And so uh, Cornelius dispatched uh, one servant or, or two servants and one soldier to go get Peter. Meanwhile, in Joppa, the next day, Peter was on the top of a roof praying. Apparently, it was a flat roof. He was on top of the roof and he was praying and he had a vision. And in this vision, it was shocking to him. This, this large sheet like thing came down out of heaven, uh, being held up by four corners. And when it came to the ground, he looked in, and it was full of all sorts of animals. There were four-footed creatures, crawling things, which were obviously unclean for the Jewish people, and there were birds of all kind. And then shockingly, Peter heard this voice out of heaven. It was the voice of God that said, get up, Peter, kill, and eat. And if you know anything about Peter from the Gospels, you know he's not going to take that just at face value. So Peter said, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything unholy and unclean. A second time the voice speaks, and it says, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. And this happened a third time, and then the sheet was taken back up into heaven. And while Peter was pondering this, this vision he had, the Holy Spirit told him, Peter, there's these three men downstairs. And even though they're Gentiles, don't have any misgivings about following them and going with them back to Caesarea. 
And so the next day they set out for Caesarea and when they got there, they, went, they actually took some other believers, Jewish believers from Joppa. And when they got there, uh, this is the message that Peter presented to Cornelius and his household. This is in Acts 10, beginning in verse 34. Opening his mouth, uh, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. And so you might think this vision was about animals. It was actually about people. He said, now I understand God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. People like Cornelius and the word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting in Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him, all the prophets bear witness that, though, that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. And so Peter just stood up and just boldly declared, this is the gospel. Jesus, they put him to death on the cross, but God raised him up. And everyone who believes in, believes in his name will experience salvation. Notice what happens next and see if it reminds you of anything that you might have already read in the book of Acts. Maybe something in Acts chapter 2. But this is what we read. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers who came with Peter, those that came from Joppa, they were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speak with tongues and exalting God. What Luke describes here has often been called the Pentecost of the Gentiles, because the way Luke frames up this account, it has so many similarities with the Pentecost of the Jews, the day of Pentecost that's recorded in Acts chapter 2. Many of the same features are present. The Holy Spirit falls from, from heaven upon people. And the, the result is that they speak with other tongues. And in Acts 2 anyway, these people actually spoke in languages that they had never studied. And other people heard their own language, uh, people proclaiming God. In both accounts, those who heard were amazed. The same word is used when they heard, they heard people exalting God. And so Luke very intentionally describes the conversion of Cornelius and his household as a second Gentile Pentecost. And this connection was not lost on Peter. Notice his comment in 46 and 47. Then Peter answered, surely no one can refuse the water 
for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? So he's talking about those of us in the upper room, the 120 in the upper room in Acts 2. What happened here today, that's the same thing that happened to us. And so it's significant how he asked the question. He says, nobody can refuse, can they? He's anticipating that a lot of people would want to refuse the waters of baptism to these Gentiles. Two days earlier, Peter would have refused to baptize Gentiles. But now he understood that God shows no partiality, that you don't have to be a good Jew to be a good Christian. Uh, the Holy Spirit had fallen on them, and they had been placed in the body of Christ. They had become sons and daughters of the Most High God. And so how could they possibly refuse to baptize these Gentile believers? I love the way J.I. Packer puts it. He said that, that just like if you're in the military, you have a right to wear the patch on your shoulder. In the same way, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and he's put his spirit within you, you have a right to be baptized. And so a baptism is like an acted out parable. It describes what's happened to a person spiritually. And so when you put the person under the water, you symbolize that they have died and been buried with Christ. When they come out of the water, it symbolizes that they have been raised with Christ to a new way of life. And so in verse 48, we read this. And he, Peter, ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. And so by baptizing Cornelius and his household, Peter and the other believers uh, we're declaring that these Gentiles had full status in the body of Christ. And that's what baptism declares. Baptism declares that a believer has full status in the body of Christ. There are no second-class Christians. There are none, not in God's eyes, not in God's mind anyway. And so every person who believes, every person who believes is given the Holy Spirit can be baptized as a declaration that he or she is a son or daughter of God himself. And it's interesting, years later when Paul was urging the, the church at Ephesus to fight for their unity, uh, he wrote this in Ephesians 4. He said for there, and he says, notice the word one, it's like seven times in two verses, for there is one body, one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Why? Because there's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so there aren't two baptisms, one for the, the insiders, the Jews, and one for the outsiders, the Gentiles. No, there is one baptism because there's one body of Christ and there's one Lord. And so this is a reality, and it's our responsibility to embrace this, understand it, and live out its implications. And so first of all, for those of us who have been believers for a long time, what's the challenge here for us? Well, very simply, if God doesn't show partiality, then we cannot show partiality. Uh, like Peter, we need to learn to stop thinking in terms of insiders and outsiders, especially when it comes to new believers in the body of Christ. If you've been walking with Christ for a lot of years, like for me, I just hit like 32 years, I think. And uh, no, it's 42 years. Wow. <laughs> I came to Christ at 20. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
40 years. But uh, there's this temptation. There's a subtle temptation to become a Pharisee. There's a subtle temptation to become like the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son, to have the sense of entitlement. Well, I paid my dues. I mean, I've been serving God all this time. There's a, there's a temptation to be suspicious or sometimes jealous of those who have a brand new and a vibrant faith. What do they know? How, how, how can they get so much excitement? They're just naive and young. Uh, but there are no, no second-class Christians. They don't need to pay their dues before they treat, we treat them as family. If they're in the body of Christ, they are family. And so the challenge for us is to welcome new believers into the church fully and wholeheartedly, regardless of their age, nationality, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, regardless of when the, whether they've been a part of this church for a short time or a long time. And so we're going to baptize people today. Some are kids, some are college students, some are older. We're going to baptize people today. Some have been in the church for years. Others have been in the church a matter of weeks or months. God doesn't show any partiality. We shouldn't either. A couple words of significance for those who are being baptized. I guess my, my challenge to you is never underestimate, never underestimate what God might want to do in you and through you. If God puts his very spirit, the Holy Spirit within you, the sky is the limit on what he wants to do. He wants to teach you. He wants to refine you. He wants to use you in the lives of others in amazing, amazing ways. And he will do that as you abide in Christ and let his word abide in you. He'll do that as you seek him with all your heart, soul, and mind. He will do that as you keep in step with the Spirit. And we can't wait to see what God's going to do in each of your lives. Well, in this service, we're going to be baptizing uh, five people. Uh, I'll be baptizing uh, Aubrey, Pope. And uh, Erica Steffen, uh, Emily Paul will be baptized by our life group leader, Olivia DeWolf. Uh, Reese Lawrence will be baptized by Doug Gurgle. Doug oversees our elementary uh, ministry, next-gen ministry. And um, Rose Lawrence will be baptized by her three life group leaders, Rose Gurgle, Sarah Vogt, and Emma Winkley. And so as we prepare for baptism, I'd like those who are going to be baptized to go to the back to prepare, but would ask the rest of you to turn your attention to the screen, and uh, you'll get a taste of what God has done in the lives of all those who are being baptized here this morning.